Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody and welcome to another Golden Age of Cardboard podcast episode. Man, it just feels like I just keep flying through these and keep doing more and more and I'm really, really enjoying it. My name is Mike Moynihan. I'm your host this week, every week, sometimes with other people, sometimes by myself. Today, I get to have another person. Notice if you're watching on YouTube and not listening to the podcast, I'm wearing a different hat today. Hint, hint. You know, my passion for graded cards has been, I've worn it on my sleeve throughout all of my time on YouTube, all of my time doing this podcast. And I, I love it for a whole lot of reasons. And it's mainly, if you were to say, what are the primary things you love about grading? It's protection, right? It's preserving the card where it is. It's getting an assigned grade. Granted, it's somebody's opinion in that moment, but at least it has some numerical grade, which makes it much easier to value on the secondary market versus a raw card. And honestly, I just, I love the way they look. And you guys all know that I am primarily a PSA guy. And it's really for one main reason is it, it's, it's not the way they grade. It's not, you know, the high quality of their grading service, although it's fine. I have some issues with it. Uh, it's not because they're super fast getting the cards back. We know that's not it. It's not because I necessarily like their cases and flips better, but it's mainly because two main reasons Number one, the set registries. I am a self-proclaimed addict to the set registries. And I know that's a pretty stupid reason to be loyal to one company over another. And I get that that's silly. So no need to comment on that, but it is also, I like as a collector to have everything look the same. I like everything to be similar. And I, and that's another weird thing that I think that's part of the genetic thing of collectors. But my guest today is Peter Steinberg, who is the president of SGC. And I got to know Peter a little bit at the national. We met a couple of times, uh, a couple on camera. And uh, I can tell you that I, I really like Peter. I really like what he's doing. And I want him at the end of this conversation. And I told him it's not necessarily an interview. I just want to have a conversation about being hobbyist. And I said, I'm thinking to myself, I hope at the end of it that he says this was the best hobby conversation on social media that I've had in a really long time. So we'll see if that ends up happening. But let me bring him on right now. Peter, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Mike, thanks for having me, man. I'm pumped to uh, pumped to be joining you right now. I'm glad we have the same hat on. 
the SGC hat uh, that you were kind enough to give me at the national. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an incredibly comfortable hat, by the way. This hat's rock. This is this is my attire every day to work. I'm basically a walking mascot. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, I want to get some of the P uh, PSA. I was going to say PSA SGC stuff out of the way. Maybe you can comment on PSA too. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because there's going to be a lot of people on here that maybe want to know a couple of things that I might ask you about SGC and how things are going and whatnot, but I really want to spend a bulk of our time, a lion's share of our time, you know, about other fun stuff. So how are things going at SGC? Things are going fantastic. Things are, I think, um, really every metric possible. This is just the best time that there's ever been for SGC. Um, you see a lot more SGC out there. You hear a lot more about SGC. And rightfully so, to be honest, it's been a it's been a roller coaster to get here. But we have not cut corners. There were no shortcuts. Uh, we made some mistakes. We paid the price for those mistakes, and rightfully so. And uh, we learned our lesson. We picked ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we truly love this hobby. And I think we are better positioned now than ever before to continue to make it better uh, for guys like you and me. So it's a it's a great time to be a part of this organization. Yeah, and y'all are growing, growing like crazy. Uh, I hear nothing but positive things from people when they get their tux boxes in, tuxedo time. And that's, I mean, you, you guys have a great reputation in the, in the hobbyist world for sure. And, you know, it's never been about, do y'all do a great job or not? You know, it's weird. There's this back in time, you're a young guy, so... Back in back in the day, I sound like an old man. Get off my lawn! But in two thousand seven, right? <laughs> right, right. No, but like seriously, like 10, 12 years ago, SGC had its lane that it was really good at, and that that was predominantly pre-war. Not that you didn't, not that all the companies didn't grade any cards that came to them, but y'all were kind of known for being SGC was known for that. PSA was known for kind of that golden age era of fifties, sixties. 70s and then all the ultra modern stuff i remember there was a time that no that people thought you were absolutely dumb to send an ultra modern card in the late 2000 or late 2000s through the 2010s into psa or sgc like that was just tantamount to you know losing all your money and it was right. all bgs back then right so right. that has shifted dramatically where you see or at least that what i see is all kinds of cards go into all kinds of companies. I don't, I don't think any one company has this kind of monopoly, so to speak, on in a certain era of cards. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I, I can only comment to, to what's gone on at SGC as opposed to where the other cards are going in the industry. Um, but as far as that goes, that's no secret. Yeah, that's a, that's a fact, Mike. If you wanted to lose money quick on modern uh, back in the year 2008, send it to SGC. You know, that was just the state of the company. And I think what really changed is um, upon myself joining the company, I was a hobbyist my entire life. It was literally a dream come true to enter this organization at the ground floor. And um, I love going to work every day. I noticed that our graders had a bunch of T206, 1933 Gaudis in front of them, um, yet they would go home and rip boxes of, at the time it was 2018 Topps Chrome with me. So I'm kind of like, that's awesome. Thanks so much for the Gaudis. And certainly these guys are experts on those cards. But you know, we know Otani and Acuna just like you guys do too. And what hadn't happened is the organization really reached out um, 
and addressed the modern card community effectively and told them, you know, we do know modern cards really well. We enjoy them. We collect them. We know how to grade them. And that's a process. And you can't expect a hobby that's grounded in, uh, especially, I guess, before recent years tradition um, and just expect them to change like a light bulb overnight. But, um, you know, to some degree, we had to pay our dues and it was a grind and a, a long process. But um, yeah, today, our modern market stands as strong as it's ever been. And it seems to be picking up steam by the day. And I've been noticing that in seeing returns from people and that there's just as much ultra modern stuff as vintage stuff, quite frankly. Um, you heard me say in the intro, Peter, one of the main reasons I'm, I'm, I gravitate towards being a PSA guy registries. And I don't know why that's so addicting. I can't answer why I'm so stupid about that. Um, and why I love it, but I do love it. And there's a lot of people out there that do. Have you guys, I, I'm sure you've been asked this a bajillion times, but hey, get some set registries, man. And I'm, you know, I would be all over it. So where do y'all stand with that? First thing I want to do, Mike, it is, I'm a collector myself. So, so maybe someone else would judge us, but I hear you, brother. I mean, a set registry is not something stupid. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're collectors. We want to know what we're collecting. It's awesome, especially in the modern the modern age we're in, to be able, you know, I grew up in like the first edition Pokemon era. There was this thing called a Pokedex where you could just kind of flash, flash the Pokedex in front of the Pokemon and it breaks down what Pokemon it is and what the strengths and weaknesses are. And I always said a registry is almost like your Pokedex, you know, and it, it is a very cool feature. And don't get me wrong, if I could snap my fingers and not sacrifice a bit of operational efficiency or we don't pull from resources here to, to get that registry on the website today, I surely would. I don't, this is not a stance of we don't believe in set registries, um, for example, where we stand today, I would say the vast, vast, vast majority of our resources are being uh, poured into operational efficiency. Um, obviously, we're always looking to increase the quality uh, across the board. And that's technologically, that's the, the product itself that you receive. Um, but set registry is certainly on the horizon. Um, amongst many other things, to be honest. SGC is is very busy these days. I, As I mentioned to you before, this is a nice break from my day because I've already hustled through a few big projects that I think collectors will like. Well, guess what? I'm going to make a lot of people really angry and tell you we're not going to talk about SGC anymore during this conversation. Okay. And they're going to be all like, oh, why'd you even have them on? Well, because... If y'all want to hear Peter talk about SGC and what they're doing and what's coming down the pipe, go read Twitter, go look at Instagram, go look at their website, go do go watch Peter do another interview. That's exactly. Time. It'll it'll come, guys. Updates are coming are coming soon. This is this is a time for fun. This is a time for fun. So either take that hat off or turn it around. Here, I'll turn mine around. <laughs> you see no, you, you pull it off, man. You pull it off. I don't know if I I got the hat hair. I'm uh, yeah, but. I, I just want to get to know you a little bit more, Peter, as a dude, right? Another guy that loves sports cards. So I'm going to ask you some basic questions. How did you get started? Uh, which you've probably answered this a lot, but I haven't heard it. And so I want to hear the story. How did you get started? What sports do you gravitate towards? Teams, players, just go. You just talk. Awesome. So you might have to cut me off because this is my favorite conversation okay. to have. So I'll, I'll just ramble on forever. But anyway, um, I grew up in Long Island, New York. 
My father was a tennis fan. I was not a tennis fan. I was a diehard New York Mets fan. Really, really diehard. I equate it to almost if you've ever seen the the movie Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon. That was me literally cutting out of school to catch the 1 p.m. Mets game, um, that kind of thing. I grew up on Long Island. My father didn't really have much of an interest in baseball, although he was fully supportive of my passion, taking me to all the games. I was an autograph chaser, things like that. Early on in life, um, I had a, a very close, uh, like family friends, basically, and they collected cards. Their dad collected mostly vintage. They collected modern at the time. And um, it took basically one trip in their basement to realize I, I was hooked. I was a collector from birth. And once I kind of saw the, the parallel between baseball that I loved and collecting, um, it really just took off from there. What time frame was that? Like what that era? Probably, I would say, I mean, I was collecting really, when I say my whole life, pretty young. I was born in 94. So I would say probably, I know, I would say probably, two. <laughs> I know, Mike, <laughs> I would say probably 2001, um, really to present, really to present. And it's funny, the reason I know 2001 is because I remember the sets I would collect. And um, unfortunately for me, I made every mistake in the book. If I wanted my collection to grow in value, I was not doing it for the money. I just truly loved the cards. Um, I collected bobbleheads. I collected autographs. I was I was a little bit of an odd kid. Okay, oh one great year to start in the hobby, right? You got Ichiro and Pujols's rookie year cards. Mm-hmm. You know, all over everything. Right. Um, so you were a Mets guy in the. Early two, so David Wright was he a player that you loved, or it's you hit the nail on the head. David Wright was my guy. I spent many batting practices hounding David Wright, poor David Wright, for an autograph. And I, me and my father would actually wait by the bus. We, I, um, I was a real obsessive kind of hobbyist all around. So David Wright was definitely the guy for me. Did you like any of the other players or was it just the modern guys or did you study the history of the game? I certainly studied the history of the game. I really, as a very young kid, would have impressed you. Um, you know, at, at age eight, I could probably recite for you the entire 69 Mets roster along with 73 and um, 86, obviously. It was I, – I was truly – almost one of a kind and just my obsessiveness with it. It was not, Oh, I'm a Mets fan like kids today or, you know, heat fans or Cavaliers fans. I, I was truly a, a nerd for this stuff. It was, it was something that meant a lot to me. So are there players that you look back on there that you may not have ever seen play, which I feel that I have lots of guys. My favorite player ever is Lou Gehrig. Never right. saw him play. Right. Right. But, but reading and learning about him and his life and, it just clicked with me for whatever reason. I thought, man, this is, this guy went through a lot and had to deal with being in the shadow of Babe Ruth, et cetera, et cetera. Who in that vintage era, maybe do you look back on and go, man, I really respect that person or, or want to collect their stuff or anything like that. Well, the thing with vintage, you know, when we talk modern, we're talking a totality of 20 years, you know, when we talk vintage, we're talking, 160 years, you know, Good so point. there's, there's so many players there. I'll tell you who I collect where if I acquire a card of them, it really kind of gets my juices flowing. So I'm a baseball guy. As a kid, I only collected baseball. You could give me a LeBron, you could give me a Michael Jordan and I would have no use for it. Um, I was pure baseball. 
that's evolved. I am now literally everything. There's nothing I don't collect as far as cards go. But, um, you know, Mays, Aaron, Ted Williams, Cobb, um, let's Ruth, obviously, Gehrig, um, you know, really the, the, the key kind of game changers, you know, the Mount, the Mount uh, Rushmore of the game kind of thing, you know, don't get me wrong. If I pulled, not pulled, but if I, if I acquired like a Napla joy card, that would be great. You know, that's awesome. He's amazing. Eddie Collins. I mean, these players are unbelievable, but the truth is, you know, we all gravitate towards those, those faces that really represent the eras in which they played. And for me, um, you know, T206, we're talking Wagner, obviously Cobb, uh, Walter Johnson, even as a lesser known, you know, people my age tend to not talk about Walter Johnson all the time, but I wish they did because I like talking about Walter Johnson. <laughs> Do you see that as an issue though? I mean, you're 27, right? Do you see that with other peers in the collecting world and the hobby that they are interested in? older stuff or they largely ignore it what would you I'm, say I'm, I'm actually really happy you asked that question mike because i've never i've never been asked that question before and if i'm being totally transparent with you and and i please really be. am please I tell you this mike i am kind of to some extent i'm not gonna lie i'm kind of living living it's a very stressful job because i'm i'm almost too invested in it you know they tell me like don't read comments online you know, the other people in the hobby almost try to tell me like, dude, you got to back away, man. This is not, you're too invested in what everyone thinks of your company and whatever it is. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm living my dream right now. I mean, I grew up in this stuff. If you told me when I was that kid hanging out at the car shop, you know, you're going to run one of the big three grading companies. I would have had a heart attack. <laughs> I just would have thought it was the coolest thing ever. Having said that, the only thing that may be a little more of my little geeky dream than that is actually literally expanding the hobby. Um, I don't think there is anything more powerful, more impactful to, to what I grew up loving than sharing that love with so many others. And I think a major problem that the hobby faces right now is there is no one effectively tapping in to people who look like me and teaching them about this stuff. Okay. The issue, people tell you how to make money in cards. People tell you where to send your cards to grade. They teach you how to flip your cards. No one is trying to tell you why you should collect these cards. Okay. They're not talking about collecting. They're talking about the, the transacting of them. And I think that's a huge, huge issue because the truth is the vintage stuff is I love modern. I love it all, but it, it's the best. And the fact that that most guys that look like me, most girls that look like you know my age, my generation, have zero appreciation for it whatsoever. Um, that's what I want to work on in any capacity possible in the future. So, first of all, you need to go binge watch every video I've ever done because <laughs> that's all I talk. I mean, genuinely, and I mean that. Like, if if I can educate and inspire people to investigate, like go, go read about these players. When kids come over to my house and I give them an autograph of a hall of famer, that's really old. They have no idea who it is. I said, Hey, I'll give this to you, but you got to go learn about this player. Like promise me, you're going to go look them up on baseball reference or Wikipedia. I don't care. Right. Go learn about this person's impact in the game. Cause it was significant. And 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. The if you were to ask me the one thing I hate about the hobby, it's all the dollar signs. It's right. the and look, I like my cards to be worth money too. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite here and say right. that I'm if they were worth nothing, I'd be thrilled because I've invested a lot of money and time into this. But if I I look at it as Peter, if I bought a card today for a hundred dollars, ten years from now I got to have it in my collection and I loved it and whatnot, and I sold it for a hundred dollars, great, happy. Right. Right. You know, if no, it goes I'm, up even better. But I'm the same way, Mike. I am very responsible with the organization's money and very irresponsible with my own when it comes to cards and spending. Um, I was recently told I actually bought a card recently for way too much. And I was I was actually my my buddy was ragging on me and he said, you know, you overpaid for that by so much. And I was like, I'm not selling it anytime soon. I just don't care. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I definitely think you're right. And even though when you when you broach the subject of kind of those those players that they, the younger generation don't have an appreciation for, I think that's half the battle. I think the other half is the actual context of the cards themselves, the history behind them, the context in which they were released. Uh, the pre-war cards are just absolutely fascinating, the amount of stories um, between the 19, I mean, look at the 1933 Gaudi Napla Joy card. I could go on about that. Um, I could go on about T206s and the rare backs. I could go on about the 1886 old judge set. And then I could also go on, though, about the 1993 tops. Derek Jeter, Marlins inaugural season stamp. You know, it really that like cards are just I always say we have a team here whose job it is, is to just identify every item that we grade. And I always tell them cards are a science. There really is like a science to this. It's it's. It's very cool. It's a it's a rich history, and um, I just love talking about it. Every every family dinner, my fiance, it drives her crazy because it's just the same conversation. It's it's how quickly can we can we kind of get through what we're currently talking about so we could gravitate towards what Peter does for a living. <laughs> right. Well, I want I want to do the opposite today as we're as we're going through. But yeah. you know, you're you obviously have a job in the hobby, a high profile job in the hobby. How did you start? working like how did you turn your love of the hobby itself into a career um so actually my mother was an hr director i was somewhat fresh out of college and um she had told me that she saw a job in in the hobby that i love in cards and i just assumed it was kind of helping a card shop owner out you know with this stuff um then i did some research and i was like holy cow this is 15 minutes away from my house and this is a dream job. Uh, from there, I entered SGC. I was actually uh, onboarded into, I, I applied for a customer service position, but upon meeting me in the interview, they thought it was more appropriate to actually start me in the department I just mentioned, which is the research and identification department. Uh, from there, I would say, Mike, I had I would say I had exponentially more uh, knowledge and experience in dealing with these items than the, the next guy would have, the next hire. However, um, the vast majority, especially that I learned in vintage, in vintage happened at my desk in that first year. I mean, I basically became, you know, not to toot my own geeky horn, but I, I basically became a, 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 a card expert in a matter of, of about three months. And that happens when you're just not taking lunch 
and you're getting to the office two hours early and, and staying three hours late because you legitimately don't want to do anything else in life, but just call these cards what they are, learn about them, ask questions. Um, it was it was like, you know, I get chills even thinking about that time period. It really was, looking back, it was a life-changing experience. Taking you back to that period and trying not to focus on the job you have now, what were some cards that came across your your desk, so to speak, that you went, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm seeing this card or man, this one really stumped me. It took me a long time during the research phase to figure out what this was. Sure. So I can tell you this, um, you know, SGC sees the best cards on the planet. You know, we just broke the record for the highest selling trading card of all time. However, those aren't the cards I'm about to mention. You know, it was more of your kind of flagship impressive vintage stuff. I remember there was an order I was what we call like verifying, you know, verifying the idea of these cards. There was an order I was uh, verifying and it just had, it, I think it was for an auction house. It was a consignment they had taken in and there were about three Koufax rookies and three Clemente rookies, obviously from the 55 top set. And I was just like, I'm on the clock right now. Like I'm, I'm this is insane, you know? And it is so one of a kind because even working for a card shop or owning your own card shop, that is so special. But it's rare that three Kofaxes and three Clemente rookies would just kind of stumble in your card shop. And if they do, maybe it happens once a year. You know, it's something to write home about. At SGC, that was my morning from 9.15 to 9.45. You know, it it it, it was pretty incredible. Um Besides that, it's a really fun exercise. Sometimes I'll actually look at my phone at some old pictures from when I first started at SGC, and there are actually cards that I had taken a picture of because I just could not find what they were. So I was sending them to different resources, asking them if they'd ever seen this issue before, uh, some really wacky stuff. And then there was also pictures. Um, I, I was a graduate of Florida State, okay? So I'm a Seminole. And um, I would, you know, if I ever had a card on my desk that was like Panini National Treasures Collegiate, let's say, and it was like four of my FSU guys that were there when I went to school. Um, yeah, I'd snap a picture of that and just kind of show it to my buddies who, by the way, had no interest in cards, but they could look at that card and say, hey, that's a pretty cool job you got there, man. So, um, yeah, that time is like I'll never forget those those early days working at SGC, kind of making my bones, I guess you'd say, in in uh, in this field. Yeah, so I, I want to ask you questions because I'm fascinated by this, mm. what you're talking about. So you would get a card and your job is to ID the card is yeah. what is it? And then would it go to another person to identify? Is this a, let's say, 55 tops Sandy right. Koufax? Okay, right. yes, that's what this card is. That's right. your job. Is it another person's job to say this is a real authentic? authentic card or your job? So it's definitely not my job. Um, I just wouldn't have the expertise at that time. Um, it's really, it's, it's never their job, no matter how long they, they, they could be with the company for 15 years. Um, that's just not the job of our research and identification team. That's the job of the graders. So, okay. um, okay. you know, it's my job to even identify, let's say it was a terrible counterfeit where even with the little experience I had, I could see this thing looks like it's printed on a credit card stock. You know, okay. this, this is not right. It's still not my place. I am supposed to just identify that card as what it should be. And it's the greater job to say, yeah, it should be that, but it's not a real that. Gotcha. Yeah. Just I didn't, I never put that equation 
two plus two equals four together right. and how that worked. Right. But what, what is cool, Mike, is, you know, the thing as well, you obviously have so much hobby knowledge, so much hobby experience. You know, you've been doing this for a long time and clearly it's a passion of yours. What's cool about the job I was doing is you learn some wacky things that even someone who's been in this hobby for so long just wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, certain odd variations that it's on the grading companies to, to, to point out, you know? Um, so it, it kind of is a very unique education where it's not only telling you, okay, the key rookies and 55 tops are Clemente and Koufax and Killebrew. It's talking about the Jackie Robinson 1955 tops card that back actually in the year around 2018 is when we started identifying the partial diamond variation, for example, um, things like that. So you kind of really learn not only the tools of the trade, but the tricks as well. It's, it was, it's a really cool job. Yeah, the more I do this, 40 years, by the way, nonstop that I've been doing it, the more nuance I see in the hobby. And there's so many layers to it. And I just think if you're brand new in the hobby, it takes a lot of time to see those layers and to unpeel it and understand it um, and know it. And I, I think hobbyists, the new guys in the hobby, don't take enough time to learn the hobby. They want to know it all now. And they... How much is it worth and how much can I sell it for tomorrow and buy it for today? I told you money is my biggest dislike in the hobby that it's just so, it just seems so money centric versus hobby centric. What do you hate about the hobby? Like if you were to say, if I could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? Well, you know what I hate about the hobby, Mike? Um, I gotta, I gotta think. Doing podcasts with guys yeah. like me? No, yeah. definitely not. I'm, I'm representing a, a, and, and a group of, of a very large amount of amazing people. So every word I say here does matter. But I'm gonna say this: what I hate about the hobby is that a lot of the time, um, positivity is shed on those who may not, maybe shouldn't warrant it, and the people who really deserve it. Um, they're doing the work behind the scenes. They're not the ones on the Instagrams with, you know, 50,000 followers and going like this all day. And, you know, um, I don't want to say faking it because it doesn't mean they're faking it. It just means that they're very invested in clicks and eyeballs and, and likes and subscriptions and things like that. And the fact is, you know, the vast majority of the players in the hobby that have been here for a while that really know what's going on, they're just not interested in doing that. And they could if they wanted to. But I think a problem is a lot of the new blood in the hobby has been steered in a direction, um, you know, that I think I just think some things can change in in the the more I guess you'd say even educating people. You know, you just mentioned how people want to educate themselves so quickly. Well, I would also argue there's no good place for them to educate themselves. I mean, there's a few guys who claim like, you know, that 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 they can almost either either teach you all of this in thirty, you know, almost like an infomercial type thing. Right. And it's like, how about just a, a, almost like a, a nonprofit style. Hey, we love this. Let's all get together and talk and, and whatever it is, you know, there's no, um, you know, I, I guess I, I don't know if NPR is political these days, but there's no NPR for the hobby kind of, there's no, just, we're doing this just because we all love this and we all want to talk about it. And anyone who wants to come in, we welcome you and and we'll teach you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's that's what I would say, I guess. I'm so busy running this company, honestly, but I, I wish that I had 
sometimes I do wish I could take this hat off to, to do some things that I can't do in this lane that I'm in running the grading company, because I think the hobby badly, badly needs it. And that's not to say that I'm the, the savior that could come in, but I do feel strongly that I know how to educate young people on why these cards are special and why they should collect them. And, um, I think there's a big void in the hobby right now for, for that. It's so interesting that you mentioned that. And again, I know you're incredibly busy and you pay attention, probably not a whole lot to YouTube, honestly. I mean, I, but the reality is I'm blessed to be part of this amazing community of collectors. And, and I'm, I say that word very intentionally that they truly love the hobby. They truly love telling people. I mean, I watch videos all the time where a guy's just showing cards. Value never comes up. Money never comes up. They're simply going, this is a Babe Ruth XYZ ice cream card. And here's right. why this is so special. And here's what, you know, there was this other one that was like this and it looked like this on the right. back. And, and so those exist, Peter, what, what's the sad part about what you're saying is those are not mainstream, popular, clicky, baity, type of topics as much as we'd love to see people do that the reality is probably people don't give two shakes about that well, which is this is my take and mike like this, i'm not drawing upon my sgc presidency here sure, this sure. is just truly me as a collector i right. the only thing i'll add and you can disagree with me the only thing i'll add is i don't look at the the money side of it as as a bad thing i don't i think it's part of the the process because the truth is I started a business in college, okay, because I loved business and I, I, I liked the hustle and things like that. And especially a lot of the new young blood in this hobby, they love the hustle too. And sure. they love the business. And, and that is ingrained in this hobby, that side of it as well. Now, naturally, there's, there's art, there's history, there's sports, and there's business. And I think that some people, you know, guys like you and me, the history aspect of it and the sports, that might be enough. We don't need the other two, let's say, or we don't need the other one. But some people really will require all four to get them fully saying, you know what, this is worth me getting into, you know. And um, I just look at it and I say, there's got to be a way where those things are, are almost interacting in the appropriate proportion of one another, where it's not all money. But it's not all just, hey, you know, we don't want money. You know what I mean? If that if that makes sense, that balance, I guess. For sure. And and I'm not so I don't disagree with you. Mm. And I it's not that I don't think about the money part. It's not the driver. Right. Right. It's an ancillary part of this hobby. It's always been that way. Right. Uh, it will always be that way. Wherever there's money, there's people want to talk about that part of it. When people come over to look at my collection that are not hobbyists, let's say, and they come in and they're, first of all, they're like, your wife is a saint. And I'm like, yes, she is. Uh, and they're like, you're a little bit crazy. Yes, I am. And then they'll go, they look, I'll show them a, a card, any card, pick a card, a mantle, Wow, how much is that worth? That's the first question almost invariably I get. Right. Not what year is this? Why is this card significant? Why is this player significant? Who was this guy? None of that stuff. It's wow, what is that worth? And I don't know if that's just human nature, honestly. You know what I can 
here, here's what I can relate. I don't mean to interrupt you, Mike. No, go ahead. It's such an interesting point you make because I can certainly relate actually on an SGC side of things. One of the most common kind of tricks I do with our encapsulators, okay, who are in training is they won't have the expensive cards on their desk because they're in training and we're just getting to know them and make sure that they have the respect for the cards that they need and they know how to handle them. However, if the guy or girl, you know, four seats over from them has a 51 Bowman mantle and a three, sometimes I'll say, hey, you know what that's worth? And that kind of gets a, whoa. And it's like, I think they associate, if, if someone will pay that much for it, then it is special. And what I find is all of these things for, for me tend to develop together with my team because the truth is the vast majority of people on our team came to our team with a love of sports, maybe um, a love of Pokemon, a love of, you know, any other TCGs, but we taught them the hobby. And with that, we've done it the right way. You know, there's no preconceived notions and there, it, it really is awesome. But my point is, I think to, to leave out the money factor, we are doing ourselves a disservice because the truth is it's pretty freaking cool that if Mike Trout, you know, wins the triple crown next year, you could do well on something that you love. And rightfully so, because because you believed in Mike Trout before he won that triple crown, you know, or Julio Rodriguez in the minor leagues or, any, you know, anyone like that. Um, I give a lot of credit to the guys who were collecting the 48 Jackie before the 48 Jackie blew up because it's like, yeah, you saw something that was there, which is that this is the guy who broke the color barrier. This is his not only rookie card, but but out of all his early cards, just, I mean, he's in that blue Dodgers cap with the yellow, it's, it's, it's a truly iconic card. And they saw it and, oh, the rest of these people are now catching on. Yeah, you should make some money when you're ready to get rid of that card to, to put into another one, you know? So I, I hear you and I think I stand almost like in, in the middle of all of it. I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get it. And I don't think that's a wrong mindset. That's the whole thing about this hobby. To to tell someone they're wrong, I think, is dangerous mm-hmm. uh, at best. Now, I will definitely, more than off, more often than not, offer an opinion on what I think of a direction of the, hob- the hobby's going or tops and fanatics or this or that. You know, you right. name it. I'm happy to right. provide what I think about it. That doesn't mean people have to agree with me. That's right. the whole thing. Like, I think this is a great card. Uh, for example, I think right now Willie Mays needs to be on everybody's radar because he's the oldest living Hall of Famer. At some point, he's going to pass away, and you'll that I've just seen the effect of that happening over and over and over as players pass away, their cards uh, increase in value. So, if you want the if you want to own Mays stuff. You should buy them sooner rather than later. They're not going to get cheaper is my point. And so and if you don't do that, it's not that you're wrong. I'm just giving my opinion on what I think. And so what, but when I hear people say you're wrong to do this, and, and again, I've been, I've, I'm not saying I've been perfect at this. I've done this before. And I'm, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of calling myself out a little bit to, to tell someone they're wrong, I think is, is dangerous. You can certainly say I disagree with that, or here's why I don't think that's a good idea. Um, whether you know, whatever it might be. So, man, okay, sorry, we're getting deep. We're getting like all philosophical and stuff, and I no, want to. That's be- what I yeah. yeah but uh, yeah. 
I'm all red in the face. I get I get real passionate real quick. There's yeah, no conversations with me. That's great, honestly. Um, do you only buy cards that are graded, or that's do you buy question. raw? Birds? Great question. So I buy cards that are raw. I buy cards that are graded by SGC. I buy cards that are graded by PSA. That's who I buy. Nice. Although I will say this, my modern is SGC PSA. My vintage is all SGC. I do not buy PSA vintage, but I do buy PSA modern along with SGC modern. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I had a question and it escaped me. Just um, to, get to, to, to be honest, Mike, I am. Thank goodness I'm in the capacity I'm in because I would be just about the worst car dealer in the world if I wasn't it to make money. I am the guy who when when I guess the you know, if it is a modern card and the hype is that it's, you know, the absolute highest when you, you want to sell, um, that's when I want to hold it, you know, the most. And I, I just tend to, um, you know, I tend to move cards around when I want to, I guess, put money into a new card. And I probably take a loss. I, I am not exaggerating. I'm 90 something percent of my cards, but I truly love them. And I look at them all the time and sit on my carpet and have a fun time looking at my slabs. So what's a card that's, or a couple of cards in the vintage world, maybe kind of that 50s, 60s, 70s, what I call the golden age of cardboard, mm -hmm. which is the name of this podcast, but mm -hmm. uh, are, are there cards that are on your radar that you'd love to get? Good question. I really want a 51 maze. 51 maze is so tough because, you know, every collector is different and this is really, this is certainly more towards the collector side of things than, than the money side of things. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people will pay money for a six. And in my opinion, the educated collectors, the guys who have been here for a while, understand that not all sixes are created equal, you know, and one six could be much more attractive than another six. But the fact is, most sixes sell for a range where the nice ones go here, the not so nice ones might go here. Um, I'm looking for a 51 maze with zero print on it which almost doesn't exist because that card is just so notorious for the print for whatever reason Mike print gets to me I I would take corners that are you know wagon wheeled completely than print print I look at is I, I couldn't tell you why maybe I just feel that the cards were meant to be collected so it's almost like the corner should look like that you know but but the print is is eh, you know give me the next one so those fish eyes are I'm not a fan 51 maze uh, I like, I, I know I'm in the minority, but I love the 50s Bowman sets. I mean, I just think as far as the top sets, 53 was beautiful. 52 is awesome. Um, 54 Bowman, I, there are some nice cards. The Maze is cool. The Mantle's cool, but nothing crazy. The Williams is obviously a nice card out of that set. Um, it's got a cool story, but I, I love the 50s Bowmans. Yeah, I, I've grown to love 55 Bowman a mm -hmm. lot over yeah. the years. I used to think they were but ugly, honestly. Right. And whether it's age or wisdom or a combination of that, I've grown to really like them. Yeah. And to me on that car, on the 55 Bowmans, it's mo way more about because the borders chip so easily, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be really careful with that. I'll take one that's not chipped and off-centered than one that's centered and chipped to hell all around it. Although Wait, I do I'm agree sorry. with you. I'm sorry, you prefer the centered with chipping? No, I'd prefer, I don't care if it's centered well, as long as it doesn't have chipping problems. If that gotcha. Makes sense. Okay, like, gotcha. I, you know what's I, interesting? You know what's interesting? 
Yeah. I'm the opposite. Yeah. And that's <laughs> great. That's good. That means we're a not competing right. against each other. If right. we see one on eBay, <laughs> um, we're not bidding against each other, which is good. Uh, now look, I, I'd always prefer a more centered card than not centered, right? Cool. Or this or that. And, you know, my collection is a lot of, I have a maze rookie. It's a PSA two and it's a very nice PSA two. And I'm mm -hmm. thrilled to death just to own it, you know? Right. Right. And I, you hear this back and forth in the collecting world a lot of, well, why would you buy a two when you could just save up and buy, you know, a, a four or five or six or whatever, well, then I wouldn't have all the other cards that I could buy with that extra money. Right. I, I want a quantity of quality, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, and to me, quality doesn't necessarily mean the highest grade. It means nice examples of the card in whatever the assigned grade is. Like yeah. you said, definitely, not all. Definitely, definitely not. Um, I, in other words, I agree. I'm saying that, that um, for example, I just saved up some money and purchased one of my bigger cards as a... Um, it's a T205 Cobb, okay, graded an SGC3. An 8 recently sold. It was not graded by SGC, but an 8 recently sold, as you can imagine, for a boatload of money. And if you ask me, Mike, my 3 is nicer than the 8. Because the 8, sure, it's got razor, razor sharp corners. But Cobb's got three eyes. And that's just not the card for me. My card has got the most crisp. The reason I bought it is it's one of a kind. I mean, there's the T205 Cobb, you know, the printing was so poor back then. I'm like I said, I'm a big, I'm big for the image itself. And Cobb's face is just crystal clear. You know, it doesn't look like he's, he's crying because uh, the ink bled. Um, however, yeah, the card's been handled. You know, it's got a nice wrinkle on the back and, and but it, it's a piece of history. I, I love the thing. So I totally agree. Yeah, you're mentioning print. And just to clarify for people out there, what Peter's talking about is, print defects, which could be, he mentioned fish eyes or color spots, maybe on a card, especially the pre-war stuff. You'll have bleeding, print uh, lines as well. Print yeah. lines. Yep. Roller marks, uh, for sure. Happen 51 Bowman's notorious for having roller marks all over them. And so uh, that's what he's taught in the registration of the card, which is really the clarity of the image itself on the card. How cl clear is it? You said, your cob is crystal clear. That's something that is, I think, ignored by a lot of, they do look at the corners or they look at the centering or whatever. Right. To me, man, if the image is great, that that's a number one, like give right. me a great image without snow all over it or right. Right. you know those kinds of things. So that's what Peter's talking about everybody. When he, when he mentions print, that's encompassing all of those things uh, that he looks for in a card, uh, which is, to be able to articulate that, Peter, I think a lot of collectors can't articulate what they look for. You know, I, it's so funny, good. I'm I'm so bad at so many things. I guarantee you, outside of SGC, I would be worse than every every viewer here at everything in life. But there's one thing that I take some pride in, and I am able to articulate these cards and why we should collect them, and I am able to teach them, and that is why. My team has grown from six people to 130 people in the course of 125, I think, today, in the course of like a year and a half. And we all we all love cards. We all know cards. I mean, there's not a there's not a person in this office that's, you know, out of the loop here. And um, that's the one thing I can do. I can educate people on cards because I love them. So I want to ask you one final kind of piece for conversation purposes. 
And I know you're in, you say you're in your dream job now. What would be your dream job in sports overall? If you could have one job in sports, what would it be? So let's put it this way. When I was a kid, I was a, I was a baseball player as a kid. I was on, I, I'm from South Florida. I'm, you know, um, that's where I kind of grew up. And uh, in South Florida, baseball is extremely competitive. It's all year round. There's no off season. I was on a travel team um, and I would miss travel baseball games. It was very competitive. I would miss travel baseball games because I had to go watch my Mets. So my point is I was always more of a fan. You know, a lot of my friends, felt like they were going to get scholarships and go pitch in the major leagues. And I had too much of an appreciation for the guy throwing a 93 mile an hour slider on the mound to ever think that my short stubby little fingers and arms could do that. So I was not under the impression I would be, I would be a player. I was a fan. So to answer that, I don't know what I would rather be doing in the sports world. However, there are things in the hobby world that I look at and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, just for example, Mike, I asked you before we went on live, how, how long is this going to be? You said, you know, 30, 40 minutes, we'll, we'll see where the conversation takes us. I look up right now, it says 47 minutes. And I'm like, it's ended, like, this is just my favorite topic. <laughs> and growing up in Florida, I could say this too, Mike, one thing that is changed, that has changed with Instagram since when I was a kid, there was no hobby in Boca Raton, Florida, where I grew up, none. I mean, I had one hobby shop in the town over when that went out of business, it was done. My first card show ever, for example, was the 2018 national when I started working at SGC because there's no card shows in South Florida prior to the boom. Um, So I really was collecting in like a vacuum. I had one other buddy who had um, maybe not the passion for it, but at least he could look at myself and say, yeah, that's cool. And, um, yeah. So my point is, I don't want to be anywhere else in sports. In the hobby, I would love to just keep trying to get these people's cards back in a reasonable amount of time, graded accurately, looking good, making them feel good when they get the cards that originally made them feel good. And now it makes them feel even better after, um, you know, after we've been fortunate to basically take their money to grade the cards and perform that service. So I take a lot of pride in in what I do. And so does this team, by the way, I always hate that I'm the guy in the hat on the video because I have people literally surrounding me in this building that think just like I do. Um, and we get pumped when we see people really happy, whether it be on blowout or Instagram or reaching out to us with little nice letters along with their cards when they send them in. Well, that's interesting. Um, I would think you'd maybe want to be GM of the Mets or, you know, uh, for me, my dream job in all sports, if I could do one job and this is inside or outside of the hobby, I would be the president of the baseball hall of fame. You know, that that is something you may have me there. I agree. That would be, that is something, like I said, that's totally, believe me, I'd be on board for that. Um, that, that would be really fun. I just um, think about the opportunity to curate that history that way. And, and oh my gosh, that would be fantastic. Pretty, yeah, no, pretty special. Pretty special. I think the only thing cooler though, to me, because remember the stuff at the Hall of Fame, it is off limits. In other words, it, it's there and you pay money to, to view it. Remember at SGC, you know, we also authenticate uniforms. We've authenticated a Babe Ruth uniform that sold for millions and a recently a Jackie Robinson uniform 
Um, we just had a Baltimore News Bay group, a T206 Honus Wagner sold for $6.6 million. I'm still seeing them, remember. You know, the difference is I can really see them and, and almost watch them on their journey outside of this place. So the Hall of Fame would be really cool. Um, yeah, but think about it. If you're the president, you get to go do things that the normal public wouldn't get right. to do. Let's just be honest, right? That is that is definitely true. I just, to me, the whole my dream job, I could say definitively, is like just being able to, like, right now, I'm able to almost, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to kind of, hopefully, hopefully, help spread like hobby love, like positivity. This company, whether you like them or you don't like them. They're doing everything they can to to make it better. That's what I hope people feel. And um, I think for me, again, the thing outside of that is I just want this thing to grow, but but almost like the right way. I don't want people getting duped. I don't want people, you know, being, like I said, being led down a path that, that probably isn't the right one. And I think there are some preconceived notions in this hobby that I can say definitively are just outright false. And I would love sometimes to just, you know, shout it and, and, you know, almost use the platform of SGC to correct that narrative, but it's not my place. I am, I am currently the president of a grading company. If I ever um, wanted to do that, it certainly would not be in this capacity because it's just not appropriate. You know, like I've told you before, I consider myself in the public sector rather than the private sector. And I can, I can promise you though, I, I enjoy both sides and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, um, Hopefully we see some some good things happening in the future. Well, under your stewardship, I bet SGC seems to be in very capable hands. And uh, how did I do accomplishing my goal of wanting to be th this wanting one of the better conversations you've had on social media in a while? You did a great job, Mike. I, I mean it when I say after this. Um, yeah, I, I won't have a conversation like this for a while. And I'm going to I'm going to miss it because, like I said, man, this, this really is my favorite topic to talk about. And it's it's great to talk to someone who clearly has the same love I do for it. Well, go out and find some maze cards <laughs> and uh, see what you can do. Uh, and I'm my number one card that I'm thinking about is that is the fit. Seriously, like the number one card I'm looking for next week at the Las Vegas show before the industry summit is going to be the 54 Bowman Ted Williams. And you mentioned oh, yeah. that earlier. So. It's a card that's been on my radar for a long time, and I think it's I need to pull the trigger on that. Um, yeah, so there's just there's always something else, you know. There's always something cool to chase after and hunt for, and the joy of the hunt. All of that is qualities that that we share as collectors, all of us. Right. And you're doing your job, your part to put the things out there that give people things to hunt for. So thank you for right. doing that. Oh yeah, no, it's it's literally my pleasure. So thanks so much for having me, Mike. I, I would love to come back anytime. Well, I appreciate it, Peter. Everybody out there, thanks so much. Uh, comments down below. We'd love to hear uh, feedback from you on what you thought about this interview and our conversation. I said, it's not an interview. I told Peter at the beginning, before we came on air, I'm like, <clears throat> dude, I don't, I don't like to call it an interview because I'd, I'd like to I'd like to just talk, man. And he's like, yes. And so <laughs> Peter, thanks for doing that. And everybody out there, I hope you have a great weekend. Happy. Uh, well, I guess it'll be, this will air after Labor Day. Hope everybody had a good Labor Day weekend and we will catch you guys soon. Keep collecting.